Hi, I'm Andrew Hammond and today I'm joined by Ben Jacobi, a fellow PhD student in Warwick's Department of Politics and International Studies and visiting professor Vivian Schmidt from Boston University, who has recently given a very interesting lecture here about the fall, rise, fall and rise of the state within modern capitalism and how to explain it, as well as a talk to Warwick PhD students on the role of ideas and discourse in political analysis. So Vivian, how did you find the lecture the other evening? Did you get a good response from the Warwick Politics and International Studies crowd? Uh, I greatly enjoyed the lecture uh, <clears throat> and certainly got a great response. I was uh, pleased and surprised at the numbers of people who attended and uh, also very happy to hear the kinds of responses I got from Colin Crouch and Colin Hay. So could you try and sum up what is your research specialty in a sense and maybe where do you think you would go in terms of as fast publishing goes in the next two to five years? Oh, well, I have essentially three major research streams. Um, and geographical areas tends to be Europe primarily, but I work on European political economy, institutions, and democracy. So my political economy has focused on, primarily on, on, on questions of capitalism and the impact of globalization and Europeanization on European member states. In particular, a book that came out in 2002, The Futures of European Capitalism, that looks at um, the impact on France, Britain, and Germany. Um, so that's one side and also a recently published article in World Politics that looks at the role of the state and questions of politics. The next area is uh, basically, let's call it democracy in Europe, I look at the impact of European integration, in this case on four different countries, France, Britain, Germany, and Italy. This is a book that came out in 2006 with Oxford University Press, uh, where I look at the impact on, on these four member states, France, Britain, Germany, and Italy. And then in, uh, in addition to that, I do a lot of political theory that tries to ask questions about what kind of methodological approach or analytic framework is most appropriate to use to explain. And I tend to be a methodological pluralist, so I've used rational choice, historical, and sociological institutionalism, but one problem I have with it, with all three approaches, is they tend, tend to be very static, can't explain change, its interests, its historical path dependencies, its cultural framing, um, but there's more to it than that. And so I've been developing over the past few years, actually the past 10, 15 years, something I call discursive institutionalism, which is a kind of umbrella concept for the wide range of approaches that actually do exist that focus idea on the substantive content of ideas and interactive processes of discourse. So I'm desperately trying to get various pieces done in all three um, areas and not succeeding terribly well lately because I come to places, wonderful places like Warwick, uh, to give talks and also I also went to Sheffield and so, yes, and, and I'm sitting in Berlin right now. Uh, so lots of wonderful travel, two to five years. There'll be a book on European political economy. There'll be a book on discursive institutionalism. And there'll be a number of articles on issues of democracy in Europe, democracy and legitimacy. I was wondering if you could flesh out, Vivian, uh, how you see your broader intellectual project, how, what drew you to this field of research? Ah, well, that could be a very long story, <laughs> or a very short story. Um, but the longer story is I... Um, 
I've always done both comparative politics and political theory, political philosophy, and I've mixed them, and sometimes I do one, sometimes do the other. So on the um, methodological theory and kinds of interest there, I actually did a dissertation on the philosophy of science and its implications for the social sciences, and in particular political science. And my conclusion, uh, which having looked at the philosophers of science, uh, I basically ended up arguing that we should look at what philosophers of science do rather than what, we, what they say, and we'll see that they actually use the methods of the social sciences mm -hmm. for basic ones to explain science. Therefore, why should social scientists use science as a model, in particular a science of physics, um, an idealized view of physics, mm -hmm. to model their own science? Thus, social science and society should be our focus, and a pluralism of methodological approaches. Uh, but then, you know, arguing for methodological pluralism can be problematic. And But having finished the dissertation, I decided to get back to looking at real things, real people, and <laughs> went back to work on France in particular, looked at the, looked at local democracy and the role of government in, um, at the local level, and then moved up to the role of government and the role of the state in the economy, and then by then, you know, uh, you couldn't, you can't, um, my view now is you can't explain any individual country without, ex without also looking to the European Union, mm -hmm. uh, even if in the UK people try not to um, talk about it, <laughs> even though it exists. And so I then began to sort of expand my concerns, also to look at issues of the welfare state. I did something on wor welfare mm -hmm. and work in the open economy. And uh, my major concern was at some point the state no longer is able to control, to do it all on its own. They no longer can talk about national economies or even national democracies, mm -hmm. in particular in Europe. One needs to look at the European level and mm -hmm. its impact, and even the global level is in some ways filtered through the European, given European policies, etc. So it was a natural next step, and then why the co particular countries that I chose, well, I happen to know the languages. Uh, at least in some of them I like going to eat the food and drink the wine. Um, so there you have it. <laughs> there may be a reason why I spend lots of time in France. <laughs> it's not a secret anymore that you have been promoting this notion of discursive institutionalism quite um, ferociously and that you are actually the creator of, of it. I think it's not, it's not false to say that you have created the term and you are the leader of, of that school. And you call it, it's a new institutionalism. But at the same time, you are quite skeptical about what has been there before. So you position yourself against, at least partly against, rational choice, historical and sociological institutionalism. Could you explain if you think that your kind of institution is just another one, one, two, three, and you're coming with a fourth one, or is the nature of your approach different from, significantly different from the three institutions that has been there before? Yeah, that's a very good question. It's not easy to answer in a short time, so I'll try to do it very succinctly. But if we think about each of the three traditional new institutionalisms, in each of these, people have turned to ideas and discourse increasingly, some more than others, some 
have taken ideas and discourse more seriously than others. But what you see is, and in particular when people have taken ideas and discourse seriously, they've moved beyond the tradition out of which they come, but they still speak to people within that tradition. So you could, I mean, you could say, let's not talk about discursive institutionalism. Let's just talk about how each of these three institutionalisms are becoming more dynamic as they begin to take ideas and discourse seriously. Mm -hmm. So we could do that way. However, and the important thing is those people in each of these thradi three traditions who take ideas and discourse seriously have a lot more in common with each other mm. many, in many cases than they do with the people in the tradition out of which they emerge. Mm -hmm. Or let's put it another way, they have a, as much in common with one another as they do mm -hmm. as with that tradition. So that my view, my, my sort of object, my discursive strategy in inventing this term, yeah. and by the, way, by the way, there are a few other people who have used the term, but in a different way mm -hmm. from me, only focused on the ideas side. Okay, I emphasize yeah. it's not just ideas, it's also discursive interactions. It's not just what you say, but who said what to whom, where, why, etc., in order to get at the sort of mm -hmm. dynamics of change. But in any case, um, because, because the people who emerge from these three different traditions have so much in common, they tend to be more constructivist, i.e. they mm -hmm. see, uh, they don't talk about ideas and interests, they talk about interests as ideas. Um, and cultural, from, you know, instead of cultural frames, you talk mm -hmm. about framing, mm -hmm. instead of sto storytelling, etc. But in any case, mm -hmm. they have a lot more in common. And so my purpose was to, yes, it's, it is something different, it can encompass the other mm -hmm. three, it emerges out of the other three, it's not a rejection of the other three, yeah. because the other three <coughs> each give some very valuable information on the kinds, mm -hmm. the things that may structure our thoughts. Mm -hmm. But we also reconstruct, and we're doing this all the time. So this is a way of telling the world, telling the other institutionalisms, telling one, all of us who work, because there are tremendous numbers of methodological approaches, so it's telling mm -hmm. all of us who work in these different traditions that we have a lot to learn from one another and can actually do a lot more by thinking about the various ways in which we go about explaining the world. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a mm -hmm. sense, it's a methodological pluralist agenda at the same time that I'm saying, hey, there is this one new institutionalism, discursive institutionalism, that you need to pay attention to. What do you think that discursive institutionalism could possibly bring to an analysis of the financial crisis that would, you know, give it value added over and above the, the three new institutionalisms that you speak about? How, one, how does one analyse it? I think that you can't understand it without really putting ideas front and centre. And also thinking about the different ways in which different kinds of ideas that are used. So, um, I, Donald McKenzie has a wonderful book, The Engine and the Machine, where he illustrates the way in which ideas about, you know, mm -hmm. basically econometric ideas, calculations, etc., have sort of taken over and pushed mm -hmm. uh, the market forward. Where we'll go in the future, we don't know. I see a real lack of ideas. What you saw in the first place was sort of a, a sort of a, a looking back to old ideas, Keynesian. Keynesianism, neo-Keynesianism, this is neo-neo-Keynesianism, but in a different situation. Mm -hmm. And so it may work, it may not work in different ways. New ideas about regulation. But also what's really interesting is looking at the discourse mm -hmm. and fitting this not just as ideas and discourse alone, but in institutional context, because I really underline the institutional context. And it's fascinating to see not just the kinds of things to say, say but also the actions. 
what is possible mm -hmm. and what you have to do to legitimate the kinds of actions. So, you know, what does is, what is President Obama do in the United States? He has to go all the way back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt to try to legitimate, to try to justify greater state intervention. In the UK, Brown, very easy because everyone accepts naturally. Historically, that the role ha that the state has a serious role to play in a restricted sphere, but in a moment of crisis, a strong state acting forcefully is exactly what people want. In the U.S., the response from the Republicans was, "We can't do this. This is financial socialism, or even worse, America is becoming France. <laughs> can't have that." Whereas, and France. Sarkozy was an element. Finally, the French feel, you know, here we are. We can go to the EU and say we need intervention, and people do it. Of course, interestingly enough, the French follow the Brits in this, which tells you that it's not just institutional structures that explain, you know, uh, or even interests. It's about ideas about how, what's appropriate and what's not. But we as political scientists, and maybe I'm more speaking in my name than in, in anybody else, um, we like to attribute the, uh, the financial crisis to some of the economic literature that has been out there. And you have been referring to Donald McKenzie's book where he, where he says that, explains how um, series of economics have actually produced the economic state we're in now. Um, so do you think there's a field opening there, an opportunity for political science to explain with tools that you have been as well developing for some time now, um, to move in into a space and maybe to take over, not take over, but explain some of the things that have led to the financial crisis in a much more substantial or interesting way that economics has been able to do so over the last decade. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to back up and, and talk a bit about uh, the problem with political science over the past 20, 30 years, and that is that the pol political scientists have essentially tried to imitate economists. Uh, let me give you a rational choice explanation of this. They were so impressed by the success of the economists, they thought, oh, we need to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very simplistic account. But essentially, um, it looked so good. So, the U so, so, Amer so American political scientists in particular, and political economists, but also European have moved into looking at um, political economy from the economic perspective mm -hmm. and have tended to forget the politics and the piece I did in World Politics really says let's rebalance this. It's not just political economic setting when we have to talk about the state and leave it marginalized but it's policy, it's polity in terms of political institutions and it's politics. Not just the politics of interest but the politics of ideas and discourse. And I think you know it's easy to use uh, institutional stasis when everything seems to be continuing as it does and then the three older institutionalisms seem to work. But the minute you get a big crisis you can't explain anything. How do we explain whether you know things continuing or changing? in moments of flux, when institutions are destabilized, when you don't know what the preferences are, when cultures are no longer, you can't frame them in the ways that you've traditionally done, when, when there's no such thing as path dependence because all the paths have been, you know, crossed and thrown, you know, basically blasted out of existence. It's at that point that you can say, but it's not just at that point that you should bring in ideas and discourse, but you should. But then, I mean, the next stage is to say, okay, what can we do in, as political scientists and as political economists, as opposed to just economists. And I think that we can learn from a whole range of approaches 
that people have engaged in from various literatures. And we have our own, of course, there are any number of people who focus on ideas within political economy, but they've actually, for the most part, been marginalized in the past. Mm -hmm. What I'm hoping, you know, I say this wishful thinking, <laughs> I think they're becoming more mainstream. And I think, you know, maybe this is generational. Certainly I see um, newly minted PhDs, people, you know, doing that, have very much moved into the ideas discourse mode, not necessarily exclusively, but maybe as one of a variety of approaches saying, okay, I have a problem. Let me see which one of these analytic frameworks helps me or how each helps me to get at an answer. But that's a more problem-oriented thing as opposed to a kind of theory-oriented, I'm going to use rational choice to do X or I'm going to use historical institutionalism to do Y. I don't necessarily say that you should use only discursive institutionalism because I'm a methodological pluralist. Mm -hmm. yep. On the sort of notion of, uh, you know, transatlantic relations, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the so-called transatlantic divide in terms of approaches to political economy and in the social sciences more generally. That's a difficult question. The transatlantic <laughs> divide between the U.S. and and the U.K. I thought the U.K. always followed the U.S. and everything. <laughs> Isn't that the case? <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> No, correct? <laughs> yeah, I think it's very hard to say. If we're talking about in, in, in terms of political economic ideas, what's been very interesting is the U.S. has followed the U.K. on the political economic side. We could say the U.K. followed the U.S. on the war against terrorism side, but I suppose I shouldn't open a painful chapter in, in history here. Um, but certainly in terms of political economy, it seems that the U.S. is looking to the U.K., and if Brown does it, well, then maybe we, the U.S. can legitimate it. If Sarkozy does it, well, maybe we can't. But so, yeah, so I think you could say that, that, that the U.K. has exercised some leadership here. What will come out of this is a big question. What's interesting also is the UK has said things about bonuses. It's trying to re-regulate. Mm -hmm. You could also explain this not in terms of discursive institutionalism, ideas and discourse. You can also talk about it in terms of institutional capacity based on the kinds of institutional structures, the US federal structure. It's almost impossible to invent anything. You have to have really good ideas, and you have to have really persuasive discourse to convince. But, you know, in the U.S., things are so polarized now that it's very hard to see that we're going to get any serious legislation through. Whereas in the U.K., Westminster system and all of that, if you have ideas, you can do something. Uh, what the new government will do, however, this is a big question because it's all, again, a question of ideas. In terms of studying politics and political economy, what advice would you give to students, particularly PhD students, uh, listening to this podcast, in terms of just uh, the approaching politics and studying okay. political, uh, the political realm, or possibly for also for PhD students wishing to forge a career in academia? Well, if it were American PhD students, I'd say, be careful. Maybe you <laughs> won't get a job if you only use discursive <laughs> institutionalism, but maybe things are changing. No. Um, what I would say is that there are a variety of strategies that one could take. My own approach is find a substantive issue that you think is really important and interesting, where there's a question you have, a puzzle, a problem, and then think, okay, how am I going to explain this, resolve this? And you can do it by, say, putting ideas and discourse front and center and leaving the other approaches as background information, whether it's, you know, incentivizing structures for interests or this or that. Uh, you can leave them as background. Or what you could do, and one of my students did that with great 
success is you can even start with say a rational choice game theoretic question which gets you part of the way then switch to historical institutionalism and do a kind of okay here's the institutional context here are the path dependencies here's the structures then those can serve as background information mm. to uh, okay but we don't understand the dynamics of change or continuity and we look unless we look at the politics and in this case it's the politics of ideas and discourse that works very well I generally do that myself just saying you know and the democracy in Europe book here's the, here, here here's the EU as an institution as, as its institutional structures here's how it fits institutionally with um, with its member states. It works better for some than for others, compound versus simple polities. But, you know, you can't explain why France and Britain have different approaches to the EU, even though there's similar kinds of simple polities, unless you take ideas and discourse and look at histories, cultures, and all of the rest. But also ideas and discourse and the way in which politicians have responded and constructed their views of the EU successfully. So it's that. So, But you could also start with, with just ideas and discourse. So again, it's what your issues, what your questions are that I think are important. But I always say, you know, mm -hmm. be problem-driven, substantive-driven, as opposed to just theory-driven. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's more fun. <laughs> it's been great to have you here this week, uh, Professor Schmidt. And I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the importance of cross-university partnerships and specifically the one between Warwick and Boston. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting initiative that's uh, going on between uh, Boston University and Warwick. And uh, people from Warwick have come to, to Boston. Uh, Boston um, faculty have come to Warwick. Uh, we've had joint workshops. Those are all in the work. It works not only in the social sciences, but in physics. And I think it's a great experiment, one of the first that I've seen where there's sort of deep, substantial ties, which will also involve, we've been talking about this this week, also involve exchange programs for undergraduates, for PhD students, as well as for faculty. And so the notion is that, that two universities, of course, top universities in <laughs> the UK and the US, find synergies. Mm -hmm. um, and we can build together. I think it's 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 a wonderful thing, and I've having, been having great conversations with a wide range of people across the university mm -hmm. in the past you know, in the past week that I've been here. Thank you, and I hope uh, this podcast will help our listeners in approaching politics uh, and political economy. Thank you. Thank you.